Hello, friends and church leaders. Welcome to another episode of the Effective Church Leaders Podcast, where we offer practical advice and insights to help you get better equipped, lead more effectively, and help your church thrive. I'm your host, Carrie Holton, and I'm joined by my longtime ministry partner, Dr. Becky Holton. Whoa, you're energetic today. Oh, yeah. How much coffee have you had, dear? <laughs> Too many cups. I think I saw you drinking out of the pot a while ago. So, <laughs> Okay, let's, we may make record time going through this podcast. Let's do it. <laughs> you're killing me. In our last podcast, we discussed, as you remember. Yes, I do. Uh, for, you're killing me. Stop. <laughs> we discussed four foundational principles of effective ministry. We stated that those four principles apply to everyone involved in ministry, including gospel preachers, paid ministerial staff, elders, deacons. Um, actually, they apply to anyone involved in the Lord's ministry. And that would include, by the way, every follower of Jesus Christ. That's right. And as a reminder, here were the four principles we discussed. Number one, one should have a compulsion, a burning desire, even a sense of calling for ministry. Number That's two, one of my favorites, that yeah, number one. Me too. Number two, effective ministry begins with a commitment to hard work. Yep. Number three, the nature and essence of ministry is service. So true. And number four, ministry is a people-helping vocation. Absolutely. And in today's episode, we want to talk about four more principles of effective ministry. Yes, we do, babe. But uh, before we go on to some new material, could we say a bit more about what we discussed last week? Would you define bit? Well, you know me, I'm full of words. (laughs) So take it away. It may be more than a bit. (laughs) I think we just really need to underscore what we discussed last week. First of all, church leaders really do need to feel a sense of mission, a sense of calling. Why? It will keep them on the job. Having a passion and a mission and a calling will enable them to endure hardship and suffering. And in those hard times, they'll stay after it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Number two, also, they really do need to commit themselves to working hard. And church leaders ought to expect their paid staff, certainly, to be hard workers. There's no place for laziness in the kingdom. No. Okay. Also, we want to say that we should remember that ministry is all about service. Our goal as church leaders is to serve others, to help people. And, you know, I think this can easily be forgotten. I do too. And in fact, I guess what I'm getting ready to say might be a little overly simplistic, but I really don't know that there are too many prerequisites for effective ministry. If you love God, if you love his word, and if you love people, you can be an effective servant of the Lord. There are certainly three general questions that I think church leaders might want to ask potential hires or people that they asked to fill positions. The first one is, do you love God? It's a no-brainer, but it's one that needs to be asked. Right. Do you love the Word of God? I mean, tell us what your practice is. Do you that. love Scripture? Yes. Right. Because um, you would wonder if someone really loved the Word of God if they aren't spending much time in it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the third question is, do you love people? You know, if so, you can be an effective minister of the Lord with an open, submitted, humble heart. I like that. You know, I think we could even say that answering no to any of those three questions would disqualify one 
from ministry, right? I think so. Those are just basic foundational questions. I mean, would you encourage church leaders to hire a minister who did not love people? Well, we've known some churches that did, and it wasn't pretty. They just had a really (laughs) negative perspective of people. A person really needs to have the desire to help people and serve people in order to be effective. And, of course, you wouldn't want to hire someone who didn't love the Word or who didn't love God. That's obvious. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, do we want to say anything else about last week's podcast before we introduce some new content? You (laughs) seem to be squirting forth with ruminating thoughts over there. (laughs) No, I think we're ready to get get after some fresh content. Well, good. I need some goggles if you don't cut it out. I will say, however. (laughs) I knew it. That what we want to say today might apply more to ministers and church leaders than to every follower of Christ. Good point. We don't want any of our listeners who may not be paid to do ministry to stop listening just here. Don't step away from that dial. No, but we should prepare them in advance that much of what we will say has specific application to a ministerial staff, for example. Right. Good point. All right. Well, let's get after it as if you're not already. Give us another principle of effective ministry for today. All right. I would say to all of my minister friends and colleagues that the proclamation of the word is one of the primary works of ministry. Amen. I think this is important to verbalize, honey, because I know that so many demands are made upon ministers that they may often be pulled in many different directions, and they may wonder what they really should be about. And just here, let's introduce some scripture. I'm thinking of Acts chapter 6, where the apostles addressed the need of some of the widows being neglected in the daily distribution of food. And how did they solve that problem? They called together the whole community of the disciples and charged them to select people from among themselves who would address the problem. And here's what they said. It is not right that we should neglect the word of God in order to wait on tables. They said, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to serving the word. You know, I like the principle in that text that we can call division of labor Mm -hmm. because the apostles literally could not do everything that needed to be done. They had to prioritize their tasks. And they said, our primary work is to teach the word and pray. Mm -hmm. And I I really appreciate that because sometimes it's a lot easier to serve the meals than it is to teach the word and pray. And here's what Paul wrote to Timothy, who was serving the Lord in Ephesus. At that time, he said in 2 Timothy 4.2, preach the word. Other translations say proclaim the message. And in verse 5 of 2 Timothy 4, he charged Timothy to do the work of an evangelist. Good. Very clear. Good. Now, I do think we should ask a question here. You know, you referred to 2 Timothy 4 and verse 2, preach the word. What did Paul charge Timothy to proclaim? I think in this context, I don't believe Paul is equating the word with the sacred writings, with the scriptures. I believe the context will bear out that he is charging Timothy to proclaim the message of Jesus. So what you're saying is that the primary work of ministry is to proclaim the message of Jesus? Yeah, babe. That's exactly what I'm saying. (laughs) If we use the first century ministers as models, that's what I'm saying. If we look to Scripture to inform the work of ministry, then the primary work or one of the primary works of ministry is proclaiming Jesus. 
What did Paul tell Timothy? Do the work of an evangelist. An evangelist is one who proclaims the good news, the good news about Jesus, the gospel. You know, Romans 1 and the first six verses of that chapter bear out what you're saying. Paul identifies himself as a servant of Jesus Christ, set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, I can't think of a better model for ministers to imitate than that of the Apostle Paul. He saw his primary task as proclaiming the message of Jesus. So ministers talk about Jesus. And, you know, we know it's very possible with everything that's going on to end up not even mentioning Jesus. And by the way, can we put a shameless quote in, uh, uh, plug in there for Romans? What Are, you have in mind? Well, we just talked about Romans and those beautiful, rich verses in the first mm-hmm. chapter. We have started in our Praying Romans online study group uh, through going through this book. And I'm telling you, those first verses are so rich and really give you a glimpse into the heart of Paul and his love for ministry and his love and honor of serving and honoring and proclaiming Jesus. And we just would love for people to join in. So get on Facebook and ask to be a part of the group and join us in this rich study. But anyway, Good back, plug. back to the back to our point here. Yeah, you know, I think in Second in Timothy four, Paul is telling Timothy that he needs to proclaim the message of Jesus. But we aren't saying that ministers should not be preachers and teachers of scripture. Oh no. Oh, no. Oh, no. (laughs) Ministers are often and should be specialists in the word that is in Scripture. True. And effective ministers realize the value of knowing and teaching and proclaiming Scripture. Well, Paul also wrote to Timothy that Scripture is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be proficient and equipped for every good work. That's at the end of the third chapter of Second Timothy. Look at you quoting scripture over there. Step away. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, and by the way, I think we should mention here that in that passage in Second Timothy 3, Paul's reference to the man of God who will be equipped for every good work, that reference is to those who speak for God. Now, it would apply to every Christian, of course, but his specific application of that passage is to Timothy, to a man of God. The prophets of the Old Testament were called men of God. So, yes, ministers ought to be proficient in Scripture, and they ought to teach and preach Scripture. Absolutely. And, you know, now that we've talked about the need for ministers to be teachers and preachers of the sacred writings, let's add another principle of effective ministry, and that is the work of ministry requires diligent study. Okay. Well, you know, when you think about it, all other disciplines, all other vocations, um, whether it's a doctor or a plumber or uh, an attorney or a teacher, regardless, they all require study and training. Mm -hmm. So we should expect ministers to have training and to 
be diligent in study Yes, I agree. I agree. Um, I don't think we can change the rules when we come through the church door about that. You know, I once heard that Charles Spurgeon, an English preacher of the last century, once told his preaching students that their ambition should be to understand the Bible, that they above all people should know the Bible. And a more modern-day preacher that many of us have heard, Chuck Swindoll, has written that good preaching takes constant study. Mm -hmm. I really appreciate that statement. Mm -hmm. And you probably remember one of our college professors used to say, say, if you're going to teach Scripture, you must study deeply to teach simply. And I think what he meant by that is you got to go down deep so that you can come up with clarity for your listeners and have an understanding of what you're talking about. I think that's so true. I also like what another famous preacher wrote about the need for diligent study. I'm thinking of John R.W. Stott. He wrote, there is a freshness and a vitality about every sermon, which is born of study. Without study, however, our eyes become glazed, our breath stale and our touch clumsy. Wow. Yeah, very colorful. I agree with it, though. Yes. You can tell when a minister hasn't studied. Yes, and you know, honey, I think it's a common mistake that many ministers make. I think they neglect the study of the Word. Well, some ministers neglect the study of the Word, and one reason may be that they have so many expectations made of them, so many other demands placed upon their time. And I think one of the reasons for this neglect may be the difficulty of finding the time to study. As I've said, so many other responsibilities compete for the minister's time, but fewer responsibilities are as important as this one. Again, John Stott referred to this problem in a book that he wrote, uh, that the way to find the time to do necessary study is by the studied neglect of distracting duties. Then he recommended making daily, weekly, monthly, and yearly appointments for uninterrupted reading and study. His recommendation, as I remember it, was that ministers schedule at least one hour a day for reading in addition to personal Bible study and prayer time. And in addition, he recommended that the minister schedule one four-hour period a week, one quiet day a month, and one week a year for private reading, study, and meditation. I think that's really good. And and I, maybe we should make a distinction here, too, that what a minister preaches and teaches is one type of study, but a minister's own personal time with God is another type of study. True. And neither can be neglected. Very true. Because without the time with God alone, your study with for preparation of preaching and teaching will become hollow and can almost take on the form of hypocrisy. Well said. So I, I, I think what we are saying, of course, is that to be an efficient proclaimer of the word, you have to study hard. You just have to. And people are so depending on ministers to put in quality time with God and his word. People show up to church because they need a word from the Lord. And they're depending on the person that's not just paid, but who has answered a call to show up with that word that's going to help them be closer to God. And and I would say, too, we have another uh, uh, unusual cultural or 
maybe just in this time frame, uh, distraction, and that is social media and the effect it is having on our ability to concentrate. It is harder and harder for us grown-ups, let alone kids, to sit still and focus when everything is beeping and tweaking and tooting and going off all over the place. We have to really work hard to spend time in thoughtful focus. Because when you think about all of our social media connections, it's just popping, 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 popping. And that's not the type of diligent study that is needed for preparation to speak a word from the Lord. So you're encouraging ministers who are preparing lessons to uh, avoid social media while they study? Is that what you're saying? Allow time for uninterrupted study? I'm saying that, but I'm also saying social media has changed our brains and the way we have the ability to focus. And so we really have to take that into account and find ways to not only be distract, distracted from when we're studying, but to find ways to help us focus Good. when we're studying because culture has worked against us in that. And again, I'm not trashing social media. We're talking about an outcome of being heavily connected electronically. And the people that we are teaching and the people that we are speaking to deserve our focused attention on the Word of God. I mean, it can't be three minutes here and then you go answer a tweet and you come back and 10 minutes here and then it's off to do something else. That that just isn't the deep study that is required uh, for sacred sacred work. Exactly. Well, do we have time for one more principle of effective ministry? You bet we do. Of course we do. Let's add this one. (laughs) Ministers must be leaders. Now, whether they like it or not, ministers are leaders. And some would go so far as to say that they are the principal leaders in a church. In fact, I think some would say that the main leaders of a church are not the elders, but the ministers. Well, let me raise my hand here. What it, I think it'd be helpful to define what you mean by leader. Exactly what are you talking about? Well, okay. Uh, a leader is someone who has influence for sure. Right. Uh, but when I think about a leader, I'm thinking of someone who is out front who is saying to people, let's go this way. Uh, I've prayed about this. I've done my homework. I think this is the way for us to go. I'm thinking of someone who has courage, someone who has faith, someone who will have to get out front and lead people and encourage them to follow. Right. Okay. And I would think their visibility alone ensures that they will naturally become a leading voice in their congregation. Absolutely right. In fact, The elders of a congregation will look to their ministers to demonstrate leadership simply because of their exposure. Mm. They lead by what they say and by what they teach, and they also lead by their example. Boy, they do. Yeah. And given the mandate of leadership, ministers must have the courage to step out in front and lead and point the way. And I think we could say, too, unfortunately, those who are in front are the ones who get shot at. Right. You know, being in front necessarily means that there will be some criticism. Well, unfortunately, you're right. The price of leadership is criticism. Yes. It's having critics. You just can't please everyone, and criticism will come. But, of course, ministers must not allow criticism to dictate what they do. They must lead, even though they will receive criticism for doing so. You know, we were in local ministry for 25 years, and I do think this critical spirit is worse today. Uh, than maybe in the past, although, you know, it's always been there. But um, I we just can't encourage ministers enough to 
do the study, be close to God, do the right thing, and don't let people's perspectives and opinions and criticisms determine what you're going to do and what you're going to say. And above all, do what you think is right. Don't put your finger in the wind to see which way the wind is blowing before you do something. Right. Anyway, that's a whole nother podcast, isn't it, I Mm -hmm. guess? Okay. Well, now that we've said that ministers must be and are leaders, I think we better add a fourth principle before we close. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And that is that ministers must be team players with other leaders in a church while at the same time maintaining some degree of independence. True. I agree. That's a mouthful, but I agree. Yeah. Now think about this. Paul rarely worked alone. He was part of a team that sometimes included Barnabas, Silas, Timothy, Titus, and others. In the same way, ministers must work with a team. They must work with elders and deacons and ministry leaders and other servants in a local church. Absolutely. So I guess we could say that an absolute necessary ingredient for effective teamwork is mutual respect. Another is willingness to cooperate and work together. You know, ministers should not view other leaders in the local church with suspicion and distrust, and there should be cooperative and respectful perspectives and view of them. Mm -hmm. True. And, And likewise, honey, other leaders, be they elders or deacons or ministry leaders, they should view the minister with respect. Yes. Elders must not look upon ministers as hirelings. Ministers need to respect elders, but it needs to be mutual. Mm -hmm. And I just want to add this, that although ministers are part of a team, they must have some independence from the leaders of a church, let's say. True. From the elders of a church, perhaps. Ministers can be too bonded to the elders in a local church. They can easily become persons who try to please them instead of pleasing God. And I think this is a danger for ministers. Their aim is not to please men, after all, but to please God. Paul mentions that in Galatians chapter 1. Ministers need integrity to speak the message of God, and they need a degree of independence that will ensure that integrity. A a sense in which they, they work for the elders, yes, there is a sense in which they work for the elders, but could we say that above all, they work for God. Yes. And by the way, I guess I should say here that they shouldn't view the elders as enemies, but they work for God. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. They also work for the church, and they work for people, and they work for elders. Uh, that, that's obviously true, but I, I think we would encourage ministers to remember that above all, they are servants of Jesus Christ, and th- their aim is to please him. I agree. And, you know, I believe that we have brought up some points in this podcast that shows the difficulty of being a minister. Mm -hmm. And that is one reason a calling is so important. Good. That's what helps you to persevere through it because you've been called by God and you can't tell God no because the going's gotten a little hard and you have to have that calling. So, well, I'm sure it's time for us to bring this podcast to a conclusion. Um, It's time to land this plane and it's time we closed out this week's podcast i think your coffee is starting to level out a little bit so friends we'll return next week with another episode of the effective church leaders podcast where we offer practical advice and insights to help you get better equipped lead more effectively and help your church thrive 